Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. My name is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and former health tech executive. And my name is Alex Merwin. I'm an operations executive who's worked at two startups that exited as unicorns. And now Joe and I work with healthcare and life science startups and investors at AWS. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Ken Mayer from SafeHealth, which enables healthcare innovators to launch apps in weeks, not years, with their digital health and connected diagnostics platform. Ken, SafeHealth's founder and CEO, is a serial entrepreneur with over 20 years experience scaling high growth businesses across digital media, high tech, and healthcare. We discuss how cloud computing helps startups develop faster and in a more agile way, the importance of aligning your business model to solutions that are reimbursable, and how to improve provider and patient workflows as they interact with digital health solutions. Enjoy. I'm here joined by Ken Mayer from Safe Health. We're super excited to have you joining us today on the podcast. I want to learn a little bit more about your professional journey and background. Can you share a little bit of that for our audience? Yeah, sure. I've had kind of a, a windy road getting into healthcare. I, I paid my way through school uh, with a little entertainment magazine that I started, um, kind of a small Village Voice or LA Weekly, and it ended up getting acquired by Gannett two years into college. So I, I ended up dropping out. I had been promoting concerts with bands in Charlotte at the time and went to them and asked if I could film their shows. And at the time they were spending money on music videos that they'd give for free to MTV. So they said, sure, Ken, go ahead. And I ended up using the money that I, I made from the sale of the magazine to film about eight different bands. So some bands that have gotten pretty big at the time, Hootie and the Blowfish, Lenny Kravitz, Dave Matthews Band, and ended up calling Fox incessantly for about three months and ended up getting somebody that showed me how to buy ad space Friday nights at 1230. So I ended up going back to the advertisers, finding out where their co-op money came from and uh, basically put together what looked like a TV show, but was really an infomercial. I ran it and about four months later, got a call from, from Fox syndication saying, Hey, your infomercial got good ratings for the time slot. How would you like us to distribute it for you? So I ended up spending my twenties living in New York city and trumpsing around the world, filming music artists. And then from there, I saw the advent of digital media. And I ended up creating a company called GTV, which was a predecessor to YouTube. And people could post videos or pictures. It had the equivalent of a Facebook wall. It was sort of a message board and you had the concept of friends and so on and so forth. Uh, we launched it in the spring of 2000 and it became so popular so quickly, we had to take it down about nine months later after burning through about $10 million in bandwidth. Uh, the cost of, of streaming, which hadn't yet been commoditized and the infrastructure hadn't been, been built out. Certainly services like AWS that really enabled startups like that hadn't come to market yet. So we ended up acquiring a small company in South America that had a really sophisticated enterprise instant messaging platform. It was a lot like Slack. So I ran that for a couple of years and realized that I had gotten into that business to start a new entertainment platform. And uh, I wound up in a suit and tie at business conventions, hockey enterprise software. So we ended up selling out, uh, got a decent return for the investors and I made a little cash and moved to LA and started trying to learn the, the movie business. I produced a documentary about Manny Pacquiao uh, that was had a small theatrical release and went on HBO. And I started looking at rebooting GTV more as a platform play and AWS was around. So it really helped accelerate 
building out complex systems like that, that weren't possible when you had to Dell blade servers and run them down to the Colo facility. It really did help facilitate building out something that was very sophisticated and packed with features and functionality, but cost a fraction of what it would have cost seven years prior. I was in the midst of that and I was brainstorming with a friend who had started a company called Sanctum, which put on parties and HBO had just done a documentary on him and we were brainstorming what he could do with the brand. And one of the features of this kind of broader system that we envisioned was an app that let people show their verified STD status privately on their phone and provided an easy and expensive way to get tested and treated. I was busy doing the reboot of GTV. And one night I you know, told my friend about it and she took it on like it was her mission in life to see this thing come to market. Originally, she was going to run it. Sadly, she had undiagnosed MS. So about four months into starting the company, we had raised a little bit of money and the investors convinced me to come in and take over. Uh, we had to build integrations into EHRs. We had to stand up a provider network to requisition the tests. We had to do integrations with Quest and LabCorp. There was a whole bunch of these sort of healthcare aspects to it that I didn't really realize were going to be necessary when starting the business. We launched it. It became really popular pretty quickly and we're going out for our series A round and we were introduced to Mayo. And while they weren't really interested in the sexual health side of things, they were very interested in the broader vision of creating a platform that would make it quick and easy and inexpensive to create these type of apps. And that's now what we've built with, uh, with Safe. Wow. First off, it's great to meet another digital media to digital health convert. You fell into this company through this great idea of the status app, right? And then it sounds like you dove really deep and discovered all these things like the HR integrations, the provider networks, the regulatory situation, and you overcame those challenges and it brought it to market. But you've stayed in this space now for a few years. And I, I'd be curious to learn what's made you stick around. What did you see when you joined Digital Health that's kept you inspired and in continuing to innovate in the space? Well, I was really quite astounded by how dysfunctional the healthcare industry was at large. I'd experienced it as a patient. I think we all have. You've got something wrong with you. You get passed between doctors that are giving you the same tests. It's extraordinarily time-consuming, expensive. You have to do all this primarily during business hours, taking off work. Um, and while there was a lot of companies with amazing solutions that were coming out, they were very siloed and disjointed. That was really right around the advent of the population health management apps. You can think of NERCs, Roman, Hims, Livongo. And while those apps were providing value to their target populations, they again were very siloed. They didn't have integrations with the EHRs. There was no diagnostic component to them for the most part. And I really just felt like it could be done better. So as I started talking to some friends that worked at these companies or were involved in funding them, is just the enormous hurdles that, that you know, were required uh, to stand up applications like that. I had just gone through it with Safely. Uh, in essence, it, it felt like a lot of the work that I had been doing with GTV around creating a custom streaming platform yeah. to enable content creators and brands to create their own sort of Netflix, private labeled Netflix type application that it was just, it was needed. And one of the big challenges that I saw that I felt like we could have the biggest impact in bringing to market was connected home testing. And if you look as big as telehealth has gotten, even the 800 pound gorillas like Teladoc and Doctor On Demand 
certainly the population health apps have no diagnostic capabilities. And it really is a limiting factor to having these services really realize their potential. And when you start looking at what's in front of us with the baby boomers aging out and reaching that stage in their lives where the vast majority of the healthcare spend is made and just the sheer volume of them, if something's not done, it's the system's going to break down. It'll either bankrupt the country or the people who are in lower income populations will suffer because there'll be less capital available for them to get the care needs, their care needs met. Another thing we have in common, uh, AWS, we're all about uh, taking care of the undifferentiated heavy lifting, right? And it, and it sounds like Safe Health is doing just that. Let's go ahead and pivot right into the business. For somebody who had never heard of Safe Health before, how do you describe what you do and the problem that you solve? Yeah, so Safe Health is a partnership with Mayo Clinic. They own about 30% of the business and are actively involved. And we've created an integrated digital health and connected diagnostics platform that essentially enables rapid implementation of custom digital health apps that can be very quickly and inexpensively stood up, configured, even white labeled to service the specific needs of different populations or use cases. Again, you can think Nurks, Roman, Hymns, Livongo. These apps took several years and several million dollars to get to market. If you look at overall software development success rate trends, probably 80% of those that attempted to get to market failed. And that could be done in a matter of weeks with our platform. And we've built out a lot of the heavy lifting functionality uh, in terms of integrations with EHRs, labs, insurance adjudication gateways, public health reporting. So we see it as a way to introduce complete integrated digital health solutions that target specific populations or needs uh, that include connected diagnostics functionality. So now you've been, you've been really close to this problem for several years and you've been going really deep and getting to know your customer. I'd be keen to hear about what's come in handy from your background. I always enjoy meeting people who joined healthcare and had a deep background in a different industry. So you know, especially thinking about back to your 20s when you were putting together these concerts I and mean, you've had a, a varied career. I, is there anything from your background that's really equipped you well to solving this particular problem? I think it's the famous 10,000 hour concept. And I think as an entrepreneur, the, the most fundamental thing that, that you need is the ability to do rational problem solving. Every day you're faced with dozens of challenges and figuring out how to overcome those and being able to break them down to what is, you know, the, the, the core, the root of the problem, right? And, and being able to approach things from, from that perspective. There are a lot of challenges in healthcare. I mean, you know, both the sort of current healthcare infrastructure within the country is very disjointed. There's a lot of both political and commercial interests that aren't necessarily aligned. So finding out, figuring out how to harmonize those different interests, I think was fundamental. The problem solving element, but also being able to align interests and connect dots. A big part of it is psychological and getting the different players within the ecosystem to understand how it's in their best interest to implement certain strategies that are beneficial to the patient, but don't dilute their commercial objectives. Is there any bridge you've built that you're particularly proud of looking to the external partners? So you mentioned the EDHRs, the adjudication platforms, reimbursement. Were there any that were trickier than others that you're particularly proud of that Safe Health has done? 
Well, we had a mantra as we were building the company and now the third iteration of the platform. If there's going to be a revolution in healthcare, it has to be covered. It has to be reimbursable. And that really is the gap. If you look at most connected care today is that it, it's off the mainstream healthcare grid, right? And it, it, it's, not, it's not reimbursable. And I think that that creates the largest limiting factor in terms of how it can be leveraged to increase accessibility and reduce cost of care at population scale. And I'd say that probably 80% of the million plus lines of code in the platform are in one way or another a means to that end. Designing the suite of functionality, all the bells and whistles that were required to replicate the workflows at the point of care is allowing us to not have to boil the ocean, right? And, and change the workflows and policies of these commercial plans and, and CMS and being able to work within how their systems um, and workflows are, are set up today. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest benefits to what we're bringing to market that over time is going to have pretty pervasive value across the spectrum, across all three of what we call the three P's, patients, providers, and payers. And really harmonizing them is is the holy grail and what needs to happen uh, to have these this new paradigm really uh, take root and uh, become adopted at scale. I think that's right. And of course, we're working to satisfy the challenges of the big P, right? The patient who's in the middle. But with the economic buyer divorced from that party, we have to get really creative about how we're creating solutions and addressing each of those interests, which can conflict with one another to make sure that patients do realize the benefits. Let's bring this to life a little bit. Can you tell me um, about a customer example that's used Safe Health? So, you know, they, this could just be a use case, somebody using some of the technology you were just describing. Let's hear about what their experience has been like. We formed the company in January 2020. So two months later, the pandemic broke out. We were deeply involved with Mayo. So we had a lot of the sort of early understanding that it was coming and we're on a bunch of message strings with the White House and others that really gave us sort of an inside track on, you know, that this was going to be something that was pretty big and was going to have a pretty large impact on the next several years. And at the time, nobody really knew how bad it was going to get. Was this going to be something similar to the Spanish flu or was it just going to be an overblown version of a bad flu season? We were working with United Health Group to stand up an STD testing program across universities. So they knew about a lot of the capabilities of the platform. And we were actually in Minnetonka when the first news really started to make it out about the pandemic. And of course, they had the inside track from government officials and the public health folks that, that it was going to be something pretty disruptive. So after the meeting, um, they pulled me into a separate room and said, look, can we utilize your platform to stand up a solution for employers, starting with hospitals to deal with regular testing programs? And we want to automate that as much as possible. We need to integrate it with Quest and LabCorp and with the insurance adjudication gateways to pay for it. This was even prior to any appropriations to pay for testing. And we got thrown right into it. And there was literally three months of hundred hour weeks for me and the team. Same thing with the large and growing team at United Health Group and Optum that were rallying around this. And in a matter of three months, we were able to stand up a solution, which was basically the first to enable automated remote testing using return to lab test kits. And that was rolled out at the Hospital Corporation of America and several Optum sites and ended up getting turned into ProtectWell, which was really the first 
solution for employers to deal with the pandemic. Wow. Thank you for your contribution. And I continue to be amazed by the entrepreneurs and innovators I've run into and just how everybody worked together to help during that really challenging time. And we say that healthcare is a team sport. Yeah, that really does bring it to life. Tell me more about the remote testing. Are there other use cases you're excited about for that component to your platform? Yeah, and that really is the secret sauce. And at the heart of the platform is the connected diagnostics system or what we call the CDX system. The idea is to make a lot of the tests that you currently have to go to the point of care to do, to enable those to be done at home and not just done at home, but done as part of clinical workflows that can lead you to a prescription or referral or additional covered testing. We partnered with Columbia University, a scientist there named Shifu Shang, who's now the Dean of Engineering at the School of Engineering at Columbia. And they had developed a really sophisticated computer vision AI for interpreting lateral flow diagnostic tests. And that's one of the key pieces of the platform is the ability to enable a digital read of these lateral flow tests. And I, I used to say pregnancy tests were the example that everybody was aware of, um, but now, you know, COVID antigen tests. So instead of just doing them at home and having it completely disconnected from any type of clinical workflow, you can scan them. It gets sent to this computer vision AI in the Amazon cloud and it automatically interprets and returns clinically reliable results. Um, and then we have a national healthcare practice with physicians that are licensed across all 50 states who basically then can issue prescriptions to triage positive cases. We're tied in with SureScript, so we can e-prescribe to any U.S. pharmacy or Rx delivery service. We're now in the middle of an integration with DoorDash to enable one-hour delivery of tests as well as the medications. Uh, our plan was to start with UTIs, strep and flu uh, and HIV and being thrown right into COVID, we like everybody else pivoted uh, to do our part to help in that area. But next year we, we plan to have six additional rapid tests enabled on the platform uh, that'll be available at home. So we also, one of the other interesting pieces that was built out of necessity is what we call the assisted care automation engine. And it allows us to codify the protocols for in-person doctor visits, what we call virtual consults or questionnaires that mimic the dialogue that you'd have with your doctor at the point of care. The results of that are reviewed asynchronously by a provider that's licensed in the state where the user is, whose MPI or license is used to requisition the test as medically necessary so that it can be covered. The user then takes the test and if it's positive, that same provider can requisition either additional testing or prescription medications that's called for based on the protocol. I love how you're thinking so deeply about the workflow because this remote test result is not just, hey, let's get the result. Let's put it into the EHR so that it's another row in the database. You're really thinking about linking that to a provider and using clinical decision support to initiate a patient journey and guide them to care. When do you know that one of these new products is ready? So you mentioned you have six additional tests that you want to launch. There's a lot of forking paths that the patient could go down, right? You know, so there's a lot of terminuses to the, to the patient journey. Uh, when do you know you're done? Yeah, you know, like at what point do you have confidence that uh, the patient experience is going to be, is going to be covered depending on how the result looks or how things are interpret, interpreted by the provider? Well, the assisted care automation engine, when you're talking about the sort of semi-automated workflows, we work with clinicians and really specialists within different fields to codify those protocols. It's a workflow engine. So 
It basically is encoded with all of the different use cases. And then the off-ramp is a message to seek in-person care. If we've reached the threshold of what's, uh, what's encoded into that protocol or what can be handled with synchronous voice and video telehealth. So there's an escalation path. But one of the beautiful things about it is you can create these routines that play out over long spans of time. So one of the things that we're planning to do next year is PSA testing. That's a prostate cancer marker. Prostate cancer is pervasive among older men. They say that, you know, most men that, that die of old age, you know, probably have some level of prostate cancer. It's a very slow growing cancer. It's something that you can catch early and monitor and then treat if needed. But part of the protocol, if a man over 50 has a high PSA test during one of their annual checkups is for them to get their PSA tested twice a year for the rest of their lives, right? So that's, first of all, pretty expensive and burdensome on the overall healthcare system. But what you're, what the payers and, 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 and providers, the urologists are seeing is that there's a drop-off in adherence, right? A few years in, life happens, people are busy, they don't wanna take off work, they have a family vacation, and they don't go in and get those tests. And the result of that is catching that slow-moving cancer later, making it less treatable or requiring more invasive treatment or more expensive treatment as well. To be able to automate that process where you have an algorithm drop ship the PSA test to the patient every January 15th and July 15th, and then annoy them with text messages until they take it, it both increases adherence and outcomes, but it also substantially reduces costs of uh, you know carrying out that clinical workflow over the span of someone's life. I really like how your solution also helps improve access to care for populations that may otherwise struggle to get it, right? Not everybody can take a day off work and go in and get tested. Not everybody is within an easy drive of a major hospital, right? Yet these individuals could be reached from a courier delivery or Amazon.com delivery. And so you're really, you're making it as easy as possible for these individuals. And for a really stressful thing, but a very scary thing. Uh, and you know, I think the last thing we want is patients to be worried about is forgetting about the test or, or feeling the anxiety of missing it. So that's really incredible. What about for clinical trials? Are, like, are you thinking about any use cases with, with pharmaceutical companies or anything in like real world evidence? Are there ways that your technology could be used for validating new therapeutics or diagnostics? There is. I mean, we see that as being a big area that we can have an impact. A big portion of our team, actually half of our product team, came from PRA Health Sciences, which was owned by J&J &J and sold to Icon, who's one of the biggest players in, in clinical research and really is leading the way with decentralized clinical research technology and platforms. Mm -hmm. So we're actually working on an SDK now that can be plugged into those platforms to enable connected home testing within their environments. And again, as more and more of these, of this clinical research becomes decentralized, which was really driven in a lot of ways by the pandemic, preventing people from going into the study sites. Um, one of the big glaring gaps in those solutions is testing. So uh, we're talking with a number of those companies and we've built the solution in such a way with web 3.0 technologies, it's tokenized, there's a whole consent management component to it that all is perfectly fits with what's needed to integrate these capabilities into those platforms. We just were awarded a multi-year contract with HHS and the FDA through the SHIELD program to help them stand up a connected home testing system 
as part of the national healthcare infrastructure. There's a number of different use cases within that across different government agencies. And one of them is helping the FDA create a system to enable post-market real-world data reporting. And one of the initial use cases for that is to help enable de novo transfer of EUA to 510K. So you have dozens and dozens of diagnostic tests for COVID. And as COVID becomes endemic, the EUAs are going to go away, the emergency use authorization, and those test developers are going to have to migrate to a 510K. And the FDA is, is well aware that that is going to require some type of decentralized platform to really enable the post-market real-world data reporting to reduce the burden of having to do all of that pre-market. As we usher in a new paradigm of gene therapies and precision medicine, the current modalities of large clinical trials with extensive populations, that breaks down because precision medicine inher inherently the populations that these therapies are meant to service are much smaller, right? So it requires a decentralized approach and leveraging platforms to be able to enable a sort of remote collection of the data that's required to get regulatory authorization. And part of what the FDA is looking at is how do we create accelerated pathways for both medical devices as well as therapies where we can move some of what was required previously in the pre-market to the post-market. And again, that really is essential to bringing this, these new precision medicine and gene therapies to commercialization. Ken, do you have any recent partnerships or initiatives that you're really excited about that you want to let our audience know? Yeah, we just signed a big partnership with a large pharma company who has both a therapeutic and a vaccine. We're working with them to bring to market a solution for large self-insured employers to manage COVID as an endemic. So testing, treatment, vaccination management, all rolled up in a semi-autonomous sort of solution. And the idea is to really look at COVID as a starting point and then to introduce other routine care and chronic disease management solutions. And we really see self-insured employers as driving innovation within the space because mm. beyond looking for cost savings, they're trying to find solutions to mitigate downtime for their workforce when an employee or employee's family member gets sick. So if they can reduce the amount of time that it takes to deal with that, and also looking at ways to keep their population healthy and productive. And not that the commercial payers and CMS aren't doing that, but you now have entrepreneurial leaders looking at innovative solutions that might have been off the radar for your traditional commercial plans. So we're really excited about this. We feel like they're gonna make a great partner. It's given us access to enormous amounts of insights and research that they've done to really help take what was our health check solution and, and, and really take it to the next level and then bring it to market with large self-insured employers. So you'll be hearing about that probably towards the end of first quarter with some Fortune 15 companies that'll be deploying it. I asked you earlier about building bridges externally, right? I'd like to hear about building bridges internally. What's it been like as CEO, as the company's changed? I'd have to say that Probably one of the biggest challenges, certainly in the top three, has been building the team and scaling so quickly. We did $3.5 million in our first nine months, $15 million in, in year two, and we're on track to do $105 million this year. And as we onboard new customers, you need the team to be able to support that. 
So it has been a constant challenge, certainly doing it during the pandemic when you couldn't meet people in person and you didn't have that sort of in-person interaction to really build that sort of bond and culture that, that we were able to do pre-pandemic created its own set of very unique challenges. I'd say that our batting average in terms of who we hired and then later had to let go or, or move to different areas of the company was much lower than in previous businesses. And I think the pandemic, a purely remote interaction played a, a big role in that. Also, especially the early stages of the pandemic created a lot of uncertainty, right? The best people aren't sitting on the bench, right? To be able to pull the best and the brightest was very challenging. And there was a period when we were having to work our way through with less than ideal uh, team members. But over the last year, that's that that's changed and things loosened up. And I think people realize that the pandemic, while not over, is transitioning to an endemic and the sky's not falling in. So it's been easier. And certainly as we've brought on new and bigger customers, signs additional contracts and words got out about what we're doing, um, we've had access to a whole nother level of talent. And that's really been a game changer for how we've been able to grow the business. It was challenging as the CEO where you're the safety net. And if a ball's going to be dropped, you have to be the guy diving in the sand to catch it, no matter how tired or exhausted you might be. I've been sleeping a lot better at night as our team's grown and we've been able to pull some of the rock stars we now have on board. I was curious, is there anything that you're looking for from our community? So from our listeners, so startups, investors, other entrepreneurs, corporates, what can our community do to help support you and the broader Safe Health team? I think there's probably really three things. The first is people that are deeply passionate about making the healthcare ecosystem more effective and accessible, but that have special skill sets that, that are those exceptional people that that really rise to the top of their field, whatever that is. We're constantly looking for great people to join the team and really just helping to get word out that we're hiring. And it's not an easy place to work because we're all swinging for the fences and wake up every day feeling like this is more than a commercial endeavor. It really is a mission, make the world a better place. And I know that's become cliche, but I don't think it should be. I think that startups trying to make the world a better place within their field is something that's really positive and shouldn't be joked on in, in memes being passed around because that passion is what allows you to put in that extra effort and get up every morning and you have to work harder than your friends that are working at big corporations that have already done their part to help change the world or are doing their part to change the world. Amazon is a perfect example of providing this infrastructure and set of tools that helps make possible what us little startups are doing, trying to do our part and work our way to that position. Secondarily, I mean, we're looking for companies across the healthcare ecosystem, whether it's payers, providers, test developers that are looking to accelerate standing up digital health solutions. I think we've got the best, most comprehensive platform out there to do it. And would just, you know, encourage anybody that's, that's listening that might have a need or a friend or a colleague that has a need to reach out, even if it goes nowhere. Uh, as you can tell, we love talking about this stuff and I feel like the more people that can uh, be aware of and get a demo of our system, uh, the better. Um, and I guess lastly, just Amazon continuing to do what it's doing. And I think it's just amazing uh, the way that uh, Jeff continues to innovate and bring new solutions to market. And most of those solutions 
seem to me that are almost less direct to consumer. I mean, obviously there's a lot of that, but what I think so powerful that he's done is creating technologies and tools and services that help enable innovation across all industries. Are there any ways that we can be involved in that and be incorporated into that ecosystem or ways we might be able to help, you know, participate in that continuing? We'd love to be part of it. Ken Mayer from Safe Health, the admiration goes both ways because you're doing very much the same thing, but just in digital health. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. All right. Thanks for having me. Take it easy. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com slash startups.